Welcome to The Point of Interaction, a podcast from the National Alliance for Direct Support Professionals. I'm Nicole Dama, Office and Communications Manager here at NADSP. This is our first episode and we're so excited to welcome you and we're also so excited to offer additional ways for direct support professionals, our members, and the disability community to enjoy our content. Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic in March 2020, direct support professionals from across the country have played a critical role in helping people with disabilities to remain healthy, safe, and informed about the virus. To assist DSPs from throughout the pandemic, NADSP has been providing a variety of toolkits, resources, and webinars with healthcare experts to share timely, trusted, and well-researched information. Recently, NADSP was selected as one of nine national organizations to receive funding from the CDC through a cooperative agreement with the Association of University Centers on Disabilities. In this vein, the NEDSP remains committed to inform the direct support workforce and the disability community about the safety and efficacy of available vaccines. We look forward to partnering with AUCD and sharing information with other organizations to improve vaccine rates among our essential workforce. The following interview was conducted as part of this initiative. Welcome to our National Alliance for Direct Support Professionals podcast. Uh, we are recording this on December 9th, 2021, and this is part of our COVID vaccine hesitancy series. And we are just so thrilled to be with you today, wherever you are listening. My name is John Raphael. I'm the Director of Educational Services at the National Alliance for Direct Support Professionals. And we are delighted to have um, uh, two uh, two representatives from the Jewish Foundation for Group Homes, uh, and they're based out of Rockville, Maryland. Um, and we have with us David Irvin and Awa Johnson. Thank you both for being with us. And what we'd love to do right now is if each of you could just, just say a few things about who you are and what you do at the Jewish Foundation for Group Homes in beautiful Rockville, Maryland. Uh, well, thank you, John. It's what a thrill. What a what a cool opportunity and privilege to, to hang out with you for a little bit today. Um, so my name is David Irvin. I am the new-ish uh, CEO uh, at uh, Jewish Foundation for Group Homes. We provide a, a whole range of supports in both Maryland and in Virginia, in fact, um, to about 230 um, mostly adults uh, at this point. We, we've got a, a range of residential supports and community living supports, as well as some uh, transition supports that we offer to folks who are leaving high school, for example, or going through other major life transitions. Um, we're a staff of about 320-ish, um, and we're really pleased to be with you. Thank you, David. That's great. Um, and how about you, Awa? Hi, my name is Awa Johnson. I'm the CSL of one of uh, the group home in the Jewish Foundation for Group Homes. And of course, that's my boss <laughs> who just spoke. So he did he did say all what I supposed to say, but uh, basically we are the one that are hands-on. So um, we'll talk more about it as we go along in this podcast. 
No, wonderful. And so th thank you for being here, both of you. And just, Awa, just real quickly. So CSL, is that a, an acronym for? A CSL, CSL is Community, community Service uh, Living. So we basically um, guide the adults that um, we, we're helping um, through the community. So we do a lot uh, from medical appointment to you name it, activities or you name it with yeah. the guidance of course of our bosses. Good. Good. That's, you know, it's so interesting how we, we struggle with this throughout North America, the titles for what, whether it's CSL, whether it's independent living skills uh, professional, but we have, we call it, we call it under the umbrella of direct support professionals. So yes. um, wonderful, wonderful. So thank you both for uh, spending some time with us. Let's, let's get right to this. Um, so, David, when COVID hit in 2020, actually kind of 2019, really, but 2020 was the big year, uh, how did you mobilize your organization to meet this crisis? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, what a, what a time. Um, we started worrying, to, to your point, we started worrying about COVID before it was sort of in vogue to worry about COVID. Um, and really started mobilizing at a governance level for the organization in January. Uh, fast forward to March, by mid-March, uh, governors in both the Commonwealth of Virginia and the state of Maryland had issued um, executive orders that, that ultimately resulted in stay-at-home orders at the end of March. Um, the very first two folks to whom we deliver supports uh, who, who contracted COVID um, both were diagnosed on April 6th in the very wee hours of the morning. Um, and the, the, the miracle that followed in a, in a not terribly miraculous time was on, on or about April 8th, we reached out to our staff, our DSPs, and we said, this is a, we have, we have, we're really worried about this stuff. And we had discerned that those first two folks uh, who had contracted COVID, the only place that they could have contracted it from at that point were staff. And so we reached out to our DSPs and, and I kid you not, with hundreds or through hundreds of conversations, we asked them to, to, con to consider um, adopting a live-in model. And when I say live-in model, we actually had the temerity to ask people to leave their own family homes and leave mm -hmm. their own families and move in to group homes across the community um, some small, some large, all over the place. And by May 13th, um, all at that point, I think it was 32 places where we deliver um, group home supports, community living supports, um, had adopted this, this live-in model. It, it, it remains one of the most extraordinarily, extraordinary mobilizations um, of which I've ever been a part. Um, and so, and then we just hunkered down uh, John, it was, you know, we were, we were scared together. Um, we implemented a whole lot of communication channels. We were doing weekly at that point, every Tuesday afternoon, we're, we're still doing them all this, all these months later, we were doing uh, what we call coffee chats. And we were, I was recording videos and just trying to reach out in every way I possibly could to, to, to try and say thank you for these sacrifices that our DSPs had made to update us on what was going on um, and just to, to stay connected as best we knew how. Um, 
there's a lot of detail underneath all of that, but that's in, in very short order how we turned this vessel, this you know, $22.5 million company with 300 plus employees. And we, it's, it really is miraculous. And it's all down to the spirit of, of our crew um, that, that Awa can speak to. She's the perfect representative of that spirit. Great. That's great, David. And and by the way, uh, your leadership obviously is 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 quite transparent. Thank you for for that. I mean, we heard many stories uh, from organizations all around the country that they were they were almost paralyzed with whether it was fear, whether it was lack of resources, whatever it was when COVID hit. Um, good on you and good on your organization to to mobilize so quickly. Um, so, Awa, this is this is to you. Um, how did it feel when COVID, you know, all the COVID-related precautions started to come down the road, right? Whether it was the masks or not masks or gloves and, and you know, wiping, wiping doorknobs and washing groceries for crying out loud. Remember all that stuff. Um, tell us a little bit about how it felt being uh, a direct support professional, you know, in these beginning COVID times. Thank you, John, for giving me the opportunity to express myself. First and foremost, I will, I will, I'm going to give credit to my our CEO of a wonderful organization. He doesn't take credit as much as he, he should. He give it all to us, but I'm giving him this credit because of his leadership. Um, he's, he's caring. He's passionate about what he does. And therefore, that's why we follow. And he met us there. I've been in this organization for 10 years, going on 11 years this, this year. Um, but his passion and he, the way he care, not only he care for the people that we serve, he care for, the, for us. Um, and that's why he give us the strength for us to do what we do. I thank him for that. Um, but when it comes to um, caring for our residents, we take it to the next level. We treat them like our own family members. That's how, personally, that's how I see them because I've been with them for that long. Um, so when we have all the tools they need provided by our leadership from cleaning supplies, so you name it, mask, um, any gear that, you, that we need to protect ourselves, we have it. Then the cleaning, we are used to it because we have to clean the house weekly. So when, when COVID hit, we have to change our cleaning. It has to be daily, daily cleaning outside, inside, we because we are not allowed to go out anybody that drop off um, any grocery anything they drop of medication we have to clean all that before he enter the house so it's not only one person doing it some some homes have two or three or four people we 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 have joy doing it because at the end of the day we have to protect ourselves before protecting the people that we serve and that's exactly what we did with the guidance and the leadership of uh, david Wonderful. Yeah, that's, and I know a lot of direct support professionals struggled with, it was, it was seemingly every day there was a different 
regulation or different ad, ad, uh, advice coming from whether it was the state or the CDC. So it sounds like the organization made sure that you were kept not only with the resources, but aware of what you had to do with the resources. So that's so important. Um, and it, uh, I think you indicate uh, the importance of, of solid leadership in, in crisis times. So David, uh, I know you're blushing and embarrassed, but take it, buddy, take it. And it's the truth, because with, if, if we, have, we have not have David in this crisis, I don't know what, what we, we would have done differently because of his leadership that's why things goes the way we need to anything we need basically he will he will provide so good uh, i really appreciate him because of he keep us through and i would say if we have less of infection in our organization because of his leadership that's why good this is a good this is a perfect segue to a question for you david um when you learned that covid vaccines uh were to become available what went through your mind as the leader of, of this organization? Um, some jambalaya-like amalgam of absolute terror, <laughs> uncertainty, uh, and resolve. Um, we, we have, I'm, I'm a voracious reader of, of translational applied research. And so the research that we were monitoring like a hawk, um, which spoke to not only the infectiousness of COVID-19 from the beginning, but as early reporting around the development of vaccines became available in the research literature, we were in it um, very, very early. And, and and we had cobbled together a medical advisory panel very, very early in the, in the crisis. I think it was back in fact in April. And these, the medical advisory panel was, was comprised of three physicians, all of whom either work in or directly with people with intellectual and or developmental disabilities and DSPs. Mm. And, and, and this medical advisory panel held magnificent Q and A's with all of our staff, we had Zoom rooms with 200 people in them. Um, and and these, these meetings were marathons because staff were asking all manner of questions and the medical advisory panel did not leave until the last question was asked. In that same context, John, when early reports of the vaccine were coming out, we were already in direct and ongoing contact with members of our medical advisory panel because it was one thing to read the research. It was quite another thing to understand it through the lens of um, a medical provider with experience in this space. Yeah. Um, and so we finally came and it was laborious and it was stress inducing. And I swear all of us, Awa included, I think we all went for months with like a minute and a half sleep. Yeah. Um, but we came to the conclusion that the vaccination the, the vaccination was our pathway to first and foremost, keeping folks we support and the staff mm -hmm. safe and healthy. And that the only way we were ever gonna return to anything resembling normal was by in fact, um, using the vaccine um, to our benefit. Mm -hmm. 
So, mm -hmm. so, and, and that led us in, in the fall, it was either late September or early October. And, and we in fact announced that we would adopt a mandatory vaccine policy at that point. Uh, ooh, ooh, the M word, yeah. mandatory. We'll, we'll get to that in a second, David. That's, that's critical. And that's, I think, an important part of why we wanted to reach out to you and your organization and, 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 and hear from you how that worked out. So, but before I get to that real quickly, uh, Ewa, um, what was your initial thought about vaccines? Uh, did you were like, hey, I can't wait to get it? Or like, whoa, whoa, slow down. Uh, what, what, what went on in your head and your heart when it came to the availability of vaccines? We wouldn't even talk about the mandate yet. <laughs> vaccine? My husband said I'm a vaccine freak. So <laughs> I love vaccine. I love vaccine. I don't like pills, but in any medication in the world that have a vaccine, give it to me. <laughs> That's me personally. So when when vaccine came out, they said it will protect us from getting the virus or some some form. I said, great. So if we all vaccinated at the organization, then we will go back to normal. That's my thought. No, that, that's exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, I was yeah. excited. Me personally, I was excited to get a vaccine because first of all, it's not only working. I have my family back home in Africa. So I would love to go visit them. If I'm not vaccinated, I can go. I will, I can go, but I might get I might get the virus if I go without without getting vaccinated. Even today, my family, I'm encouraging them. Some of them are not vaccinated. I'm encouraging them to. I'm here, but I'm encouraging them back home to get the vaccine because I tell them this is a vaccine that works. Don't listen to social media people that don't have no scientific base telling you what not to do, what to do. The vaccine works. You guys have to take it. And most of, and as we speak right now, most of my family, they're all vaccinated too. So oh. yeah, thanks to David. <laughs> good, good. No, that, that's wonderful to hear and hopefully remaining and being and staying safe, which is great. Um, David, walk us through uh, that process that you had to really uh, make that decision to put out a mandate before mandate was even uh, put in the the larger scheme of, of whether it's states mandating or the federal government mandating, you chose before all of those uh, super mandates, you, you said, I'm going to do it in this organization. Talk, walk us through your process of that, if you don't mind. It, it, it really, not, I, I don't want to oversimplify it. And yet, quite honestly, it's, it's a risk benefit analysis. Yeah. And by that point, and this is, these are dark memories for all yep. of us. Yep. But by that point, we had already gotten a, a clear and compelling sense that COVID-19 and its impact on people, particularly with intellectual and developmental disabilities, as well as other um, communities that, that, that experience socioeconomic disadvantage, for example, um, communities of color, we saw the data and the impact of COVID-19 on these communities of humans with, ha with, which, with whom I happen to work, by the way, yeah. is devastating, it's crushing. And so understanding that, and maybe naively not having any sense of the political dynamic that would ultimately sort of sink, if you like, this notion of mandatory vaccine and given that we've already essentially got a, a mandatory influenza vaccination 
policy in the books and most states actually govern that regulatorily. It, it wasn't a lengthy debate, I will tell you. Now we were concerned about safety um, and, and we were reading at that point um, reporting out of Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna, less so Johnson & Johnson at that point. Um, and we were watching the data ever so closely around adverse events. And when it all got sort of put into our uh, analysis, there was really no other choice to make. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that we came to the conclusion early, not because we're particularly prescient or, 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 or soothsayers, but we wanted to give ample time and space to having conversations with staff. We knew this was gonna be scary. It was scary for me. Um, and we knew it was just gonna take time where we needed to connect and converse and review. Yes, the data were important and we shared it all, but we also needed to kind of put our arms around each other and say, you know what, I'm scared with you. Um, and there was such an amazing, extraordinary, exquisite um, spirit that was developing. And yes, people were terrified. And, and the mandate, John, ended up uh, costing us 13 real humans uh, who were all very, very important to us. And I say when I'm asked, because um, at the time, boy, did we take some criticism. Uh, <laughs> um, and I say when I ask, it's less than 5%, and it, and it is. Um, but those were still 13 real live human beings who meant something to us. So it didn't come without some cost. But even with the benefit of hindsight, I have to tell you, I'm so pleased that we did it that way. And staff led. I was very kind, so are you. But, but leadership comes in many, many forms. And staff ultimately led us to this place where we went together and embraced a vaccination policy um, so that it didn't come on high. It was written and it was posted. But I'll tell you who led it, and that was staff. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's that's really an incredible journey. Uh, and I guess it leads to this next question. I think for both of you, both David and Awa, um, what other kinds of, did you see any other fallout from, uh, other than the 13 people uh, decided to not be, not to continue, any other fallout from, uh, from the vaccine mandate? Looking for my unmute button. Sorry about that. Um, I, I would love uh, to hear uh, I was experience of that. We we took criticism. Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm I'm not. I don't very much care about that. I care a lot about the people around whom I work. Um, folks outside of us were taking pot shots. How could you do that? What if the vaccine ends up causing um, long-lasting side effects? I mean, we we had all of those conversations. But I have to tell you, in the main, and I mean in the significant main, mm -hmm. um, I think the organization grew out of the experience, not huh. just COVID, but the vaccine. Again, because we saw multidimensional and multidirectional leadership. I got an agency full of leaders at this point mm -hmm. to whose leadership I can hitch my post. You can't beat that with a stick. That is that is the, the brass rail. Yep. Um, but those 13 people hurt. 
and a lot of time and worry and hand wringing and teeth gnashing around making sure that everybody was going to be okay. Um, beyond that, John, the costs, at least from my perspective, were really, really minimal. That's great to hear. I hope other, I hope those that are listening to this conversation that are in leadership positions, maybe can take some uh, some lesson here and perhaps maybe get a, a couple ideas in terms of uh, spreading spreading this kind of it's really a cultural shift that happened in your organization it wasn't so much about the vaccines it's about what your mission and what your heart said you needed to do to keep everybody safe and sound and beautiful so anyway any any anything you want to add to to any of the fallout the negative that might have happened through the vaccination mandate? Um, any of the fallout, I will not say maybe maybe fallout, maybe that's the right word. Yeah. But um, our organization been very, very generous, I will say, because when we started the lockdown, um, the, the staff that couldn't do the lockdown due to family, they were getting paid without working mm -hmm. and i'll and i i will have i have a lot of friends around maryland that work with different organizations their company was not doing that you have to work to get paid but jewish foundation i give them a lot of praise they paid its staff that was not working staying at home doing nothing for a year and a half that really remarkable. I really, I, I really thank them for that, because of that's how caring they are. They not only caring for um, the people that we serve only. They show staff that we care, and for me, that's a win. That for me, once you care about me, the rest will be history because I will be loyal to you. Yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, and, that's and and Jewish Foundation did that to us. It's beautiful, you know, and. Once again, we hear this is not related to COVID. You hear related to direct support professionals. Organizations struggle with retaining direct support professionals, keeping them on on you know keeping them. Um, what a wonderful way and a message to not only hopefully support direct support professionals through this awful time, but to retain them. You know that's 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 wonderful. That's wonderful to hear. Once again, I hope anybody listening to this <laughs> gets some ideas. Um, I will tell no. you, John, it comes at so it's a it's a it's a parenthetical response to your question. Yeah. Wow, right? It's the right thing to do, and doing the right thing for the right reasons is always the right thing to do. But it the costs we incurred around things like testing and and staffing and support and it it, it is so astronomical as to be had, had someone told me pre-COVID that this was going to be the cost of navigating through COVID, I'd have laughed right out loud. And yet, and, and every penny immaculately spent, and I'd do it over and over and over again, but for the continuity, because continuity in DSPs, as you know better than most, has everything to do with continuity of supports. And supports that are, that continuity of supports deliver better outcomes for humans. Always. So it, the, the calculus ain't hard, um, but boy, it does come at some cost. Yeah. 
couple more questions. These are more related to how you as an organization, particularly, I think this is probably more uh, for, for our, um, how you help the people you support with their informed decision-making process about them getting vaccinated. Because that's that really often falls on, on the shoulders of direct support professionals. Can you walk us through that a little bit, or either of you, but I think Awa probably more so. Yes. Um, so since the pandemic, so we've been living with them. Us that are DSP, we've been living with the residents. So we become roommates. I call it, we, we are roommates because I checked in. <laughs> so no. so um, through activities that we do, like um, David said, um, we have coffee chat with uh, um, these uh, doctors every week. Um, so we start having discussion with our residents about the vaccine. So the way the same the same way that we did with uh, um, letting them know what's happening about the virus, how dangerous the virus is, what to do. You should wash your hands. You should not put your hands on your face. All the do's and the don'ts that we've been teaching them throughout the year. So, but they like to go out a lot to restaurants, to um, recreation center, doing things in the community. They like to do that. So when the vaccine came about, and then we have to tell them also, we, we all gonna be vaccinated so we can go back to normal. So we can go do this and this and these things that we were doing prior to the lockdown. Because I'm telling you, they have a lot of anxiety. They cannot see their family. They cannot see their loved ones. It's really, it take a, a, a real toll on them too. Then it's when you see different behavior also, because if, we, if a person who have disability who some people have mental illness, you don't, you don't have, you, you are not doing what you, what you do in a daily basis, you have a behavior. And we all understand that at DSP. So we have to keep uh, the conversation going with them and, and to assure them that the vaccine will help us get out. Mm -hmm. Meaning going to the community. So they also, eventually everybody was excited to get it because we all take it at the same time. It's a it's a it's a cool observation. This was not David's plan, so I take zero credit for it. But boy, did I benefit <laughs> from it. So coffee chats were initially designed before we actually executed to, to make sure that channels of communication were wide open, right? Mm -hmm. If if staff if if you know, you're locked in, you can't go to, to Costco to buy a new toaster oven, for example. And so we literally every week said, okay. There was a pause in the chat and we said, what do people need? And we would write down what people need and we'd have it delivered. That's the way it was designed. The way it evolved from literally the first actual coffee chat is I didn't know who was staff and who were folks that we were supporting. And what's more, neither did it matter to anyone. So we were getting questions from folks receiving supports, from staff, the medical advisory panel was addressing anybody without it, without distinction. We were, it was just, it was a community conversation. Mm. Um, again, that's a staff led um, outcome, not a, that did not come from on high. I wasn't that clever to think of it, but staff were. What a wonderful uh, thought of a community 
mobilizing and we talk about it all the time you know our struggle in in this, the intellectual and developmental disability field of bringing people with intellectual developmental disabilities in equity with us you know and they are our they're, they're our fellow citizens they're not people that we should control or change and having that kind of venue especially around something that is completely completely it does not discriminate. COVID-19 does not care about your ability, disability, gender, race. It will get you. Um, so really, what a wonderful initiative. Oh, we could talk all, we could talk for hours, but these podcasts, they need to be concise. So here's the thing. I would like to hear um, uh, from each of you. And I think if, if you don't mind, David, if you could speak to other agency executives and agency leaders in AWA, if you could speak to other direct support professionals around North America, your advice to them, this point forward, December 9th, 2021 and forward, what would you suggest they can do to continue in this, this era of a pandemic? Because we're still in it. We're going to be in it for a little bit more, I do believe. So, uh, let's start with you, David, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Um, there's a lot of chatter out there, John, you're, you're, you hear it as well, um, where these mandates will almost de facto result in 20 to 25% staff losses. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real possibility if, if we don't take the care that the relationships across our DSPs and the folks we support is not given the attention it deserves. Full stop. This is scary. I get it. Uh, I learned a ton from staff who were able to articulate their fears in such a way that we literally cried together. Until and unless you understand the, the, the depth and, and grip of that fear, then just throwing a memo into the space and saying it's mandatory, too bad, so sad, yes, will absolutely result in 20 to 25% staff loss, if not more. And I believe that our DSPs are way more important to that and deserve way more than that. So, you know, we're in a booster phase and, and here comes Omicron and we're worried rightfully about Omicron and we don't know what the future holds start the conversations now and please for the love of god make them more about authenticity than about policy the policy will follow but to engage our staff in a community conversation to learn from our staff and to open up the door to staff leading the conversation well i tell you it, it transformed our fortunes and we are better still for it today um, and I've got terrific confidence. There, there's virtually nothing, having gone through the last 18 months, that we can't tackle. Uh, it's hard, sure. If it was easy, everyone would do it. But you bring more people into the space, and particularly the DSP. Oh, David, hopefully, come, hopefully, come back. Yeah, there you are. You're, you're back. So you froze just when you were about to make a really powerful point. So <laughs> let's do this again. Let's do this again. Okay. Uh, if you don't mind. I don't mind. <laughs> I, although I never do it better the second time than I do the first. It's okay. <laughs> my, my, my advice to my colleagues is to bring the community, your community, of which you are part, 
into the conversation. The DSPs with whom I work, for example, are committed and they're crazy smart. And what's more, they've got instincts to beat the band. Mm -hmm. And I think they're entitled to be afraid. I think they're entitled to be nervous and anxious. If I'm nervous and anxious, surely so too should they be able to be nervous and anxious and we can do it together. Leadership is too often associated with title. Leadership is where the best ideas reside. And then, and then I get to follow this crew with whom I work into anything. There, COVID is without precedent. And the last 18 months have been the hardest 18 months of my professional career, bar none. And yet, I will tell you that I'm surrounded by about 270 extraordinary people with whom I'm willing to go into any challenge at this point. They taught me a ton. And, and, and that's what I would, I would say to my colleagues across, across the industry. Beautiful. David, thank you. So you get the last word, uh, Ewa. Um, and it sounds as though David just uh, set you up to, uh, to, to tee, you, tee you off to talk about your role. And what do you suggest to other direct support professionals um, to make it through this pandemic? Um, what I suggest for the other DSPs to make it through, just continue what you're doing. At the end of the day, you, you're doing something very rewarding because helping people with disability, um, somebody that have a disability, it's not a fault, a fault of their own. They were born that way. We all are born different. So you supporting people with disability, I don't think there's any, any price that can pay DSPs in this world. We love what we do. So any DSP that listening out there, just continue what you're doing. At the end of the, the day, you're doing it for the love of people, which is people with disability, which is humanitarian. So if you are a humanitarian, you, you continue what you're doing, everything will follow. Personally, me, um, it's, I'm not there for the money. I'm there for the people that I serve because I love them. I love making difference in this, in this world with the guidance and the leadership of our great um, leaders that we have under the umbrella of David, um, we have a long way to go and we'll make it together at the end of the tunnel. Beautiful. Wow, what a privilege it is to talk to both of you um, and what an honor. Uh, so in, in, in wrapping this up, I wanna just thank you both uh, for your insights. Um, and I, I would say your, your positive take on one of the most negative things I think uh, we have experienced in a, in a generation or more, more than a generation. Um, you, have, you have both given us some ideas. Uh, you've given us also some hope. And I think all of us need that um, in, in this particular time in history. So thank you, David Irvin. Thank you, Awa Johnson. Um, I, would, I would like to uh, uh, tell everybody that's listening, if you want more of these uh, podcasts, which we're planning on doing, uh, many more of these uh, about uh, being a direct support professional and being in the human services during a pandemic, uh, we're going to have a lot more coming your way. Uh, look to the nadsp.org website. Um, and we look forward to more of these wonderful conversations. So once again, David, Emma, thank you so much.
We'll see you down the road.